0: Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to the 125th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf, and I will be joined as always by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the USA, Mr. Gary Action Jackson, and I gotta say thank you to everybody who downloaded and listened to our Van Halen OU812 episode, really got great response from it. And it was very popular. It, it did very well. I know we've done a few Ben Halen albums in the past. We've reviewed The Debut. We've reviewed Diver Down. We did an Eddie Tribute as our very first show, when we had no idea what we were doing. And I'm sure our sound quality was not great. But we really appreciate everybody tuning in for that one. It seemed to strike a chord with a lot of folks, and we got a lot of great responses on our poll, saying, hey, what was your favorite song? When It's Love topped the poll, which I guess is not a huge surprise. It was a big hit, especially in America. Mine All Mine is still my favorite, and I was kind of disappointed where it came in the poll, kind of third there. But please go ahead and, and check that out if you have it already. Now this week for number 125, we're actually going to talk about a debut album that came out the same year as Van Halen's debut. And it featured a budding guitar hero, only very different style from Mr. Eddie Van Halen. And that's Dire Straits' debut, the eponymously titled Dire Straits which had some great work on it, but I think everybody knows their big single and enduring hit, Sultans of Swing, talking about seeing a band in South London. We may not be the greatest band in the world, but they got a killer name in Sultans of Swing. It really kicked off the careers for Dire Straits and for Mark Knopfler, who's done some amazing work as a solo artist in his days since Dire Straits. I've been fortunate enough to see him a few times in my life, and I'm always just blown away by him. He has an amazing finger-picking technique that not a lot of people do. He gets great sound out of his guitar, and he's just an amazing songwriter. He really knows how to tell a story, to capture a scene, and translate it into songs and lyrics that make sense and that are relatable to everybody. And that's very country songwriting style, I feel like. But it's not just country. There's definitely rock. There's definitely blues. There's definitely folk. Every once in a while, you might get a little bit of jazz in there. So because Mark Knopfler has been huge... In my life, because the She-Wolf is a big country music fan, and we found some common ground there, and I've taken her to see him a few times, we thought we'd review his debut. And it's also a nice follow-up to our Alchemy review, which we did really as one of our first 15 shows, and has proved to be incredibly popular. It's somewhere, everywhere around the world, every day, somebody's listening to that one. And I love Alchemy. One of the best live albums ever. It really showcases the talent of Mark and the band and how they've grown to that point, and obviously Sultans of Swing is on there. though it's the only one from the debut on that live album. So does that mean the debut is no good other than Sultans? No, no, there's a lot of diverse and killer cool songs on there, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But first, we do have a little bit of business to take care of. And we have to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. About 100 great shows out there, all different genres. There's something for everyone there. Uh, and there's a cool app that you can get on your phone or your iPad or, or tablet, uh, Pantheon Podcast. You can go to at Pantheon Pods to follow on Twitter or go to PantheonPodcast.com to kind of see the lineup there. And we just added at least a half a dozen new shows, some of which you would know, like Growing Up Rock with our boys Sonny Pooney who we reviewed White Snake's 1987 album with last year. So I won't mention all of them, but definitely go check out Pantheon Pods. And then for you record collectors, you've got to check out our sponsor, rarevinyl.com, based in the UK. Look, guys, I've been to their warehouse. I've met their whole team. They have a quarter of a million things in stock. They take really good care of it, both in procuring it and then shipping it to you. They ship all around the world, and they have everything. They have 12-inch singles, CDs, LPs, posters, point-of-sale stuff from record stores, whatever you're looking for, they've got it. And if they don't have it, get on their list when it comes back in, and maybe they'll get it for you. So you're looking for that rare first edition record, or you're just looking for something fun from one of your favorite bands. Go to rarevinyl.com, use the code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you can save 10% off your orders. I know we have a lot of great record collectors out there. They had a great Van Halen singles collection that I saw last week, and I know they have great Dire Straits stuff as well. But it's really, it's all genres of music, tons of stuff. Go to rarevinyl.com or eil.com, use that code podcast, and save yourselves some money. Find that special treasure that you've been looking for. But back to Dire Straits, you know, they started off as a four-piece. It was Mark Knopfler, lead singer, lead guitar player, songwriter. He writes all the songs. His brother David was on rhythm guitar, providing a little bit of backup vocals. David didn't make it too much longer in the band. You know it's got to be tough when everyone's telling you, your brother's so amazing. Your brother's one of the most amazing talents to come along in a long time. It's got to wear on you after a little while. John Ilsley on the bass, who's awesome, and he was in every incarnation of Dire Straits from 77 through 95 when they hung it up. And he really stood out big time on alchemy. But he lays down some great stuff here. And then Pick Withers is on the drums. Those two, I believe, did show up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony, whereas the Knopfler Brothers did not. But even though by the genre and the style of the music on this, you'd never believe that, hey, in just seven short years, they'd make this juggernaut called Brothers in Arms would be a worldwide mega hit. You can see the talent. You can see the songwriting ability and the storytelling that's inherent in Mark Knopfler as what made Dire Straits such an amazing band. So let's go ahead and jump into it here. We're going to go through Dire Straits debut album from 1978 right here on The Wolf. Let's let's go to coverage of something positive and that's our podcast, man. You know, we talk about how important getting positive reviews and five-star reviews especially on the big places like Apple are to a podcast like ours. And when I was in Europe, I can't always see the reviews that happen in the USA. You can kind of often if like if you're on Apple, you can only see podcast reviews from the country that you're in. Right but obviously the United States is our biggest market. And in moving back, then I get to see some of these reviews that we've had. And I just want to give shout outs. Like here's one that happened between Christmas and new year's. It says just the kind of podcast. I like five stars on Apple podcasts. One of my top music podcasts. These guys are right in the wheelhouse of the music I love. And their mix of album reviews, concert reviews and interviews are a great combination. In addition, The whole American-English contrast adds more variety to the entire experience. Highly recommended, exclamation point. That's from Firebird3131 on Apple Podcasts. And we really appreciate that. I mean, we always appreciate that people are listening to us. But giving us a a positive review like that is just, it's huge. Now, it doesn't make us feel good, which it does. It makes me feel very good. But (laughs) it just... It helps, uh, it helps find other listeners. I mean, people are looking for good podcasts. They don't go to the one-star reviews. They go to the five-star reviews. So that, that's just a huge help to us, and we really appreciate it, Firebird 3131.
2: It's interesting, too. Say something was, nice to him, Gary. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it, it makes me happy that we can make other people happy because that's, that's what we're here for. I mean, I understand I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy talking about the, the subjects, but if we, if we reach people – and if, if we turn them on to maybe a different album or a different group that they haven't heard before, then that's that's makes it all worth it. I'm, I'm really glad that people enjoy this.
1: Yeah. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them.
0: another good example of that is, you know, we we pump up the U.K. It's not a U.K. versus U.S. thing. It's not like we're starting
2: (laughs) animosity or anything
0: between the two countries. It's just the fact of the matter is most of our favorite bands over the years, musical influences, have come from the U.K. Whether you're talking about the Beatles and the Stones and the Who, you know, all the way down to like Duran Duran and the and stuff in the 80s, uh, you know, and everything in between, Led Zeppelin, all, all that stuff. A lot of our favorite bands are English-based, and it's just always interesting to me that some bands make it in the U.S. but they don't in the U.K. or vice versa, you know. And it could be an English band makes it in the U.K. or, or in the U.S. but then doesn't make it in the U.K. But onto this week's subject: a band that really broke big all over the world. This isn't just a UK versus US thing. This is, in the 80s, one of the biggest bands there are, there was, thanks to MTV, and that's Dire Straits. You could not have been bigger in 1986, 87, really all around the world than Dire Straits. But thanks to the video from "To Money for Nothing, which of course now looks like something, you know, <laughs> we could make on the computer
1: in like half an hour. Mm-hmm. It
0: was cutting edge back then. But that's, you know, that's pop glory. once it sold? 25, 30 million copies. I don't know Mm -hmm. how many copies of of Brothers in Arms were sold. I know I've got a couple of them. But we're going to focus today on their debut, the self-titled Dire Straits uh, from 1978. And it features, well, one of the best rock songs in the history of ever, in my opinion, and that's Sultans of Swing. Why don't we talk, why don't you talk a little bit about how you came to find Dire Straits in your life and then how you work back
2: two Sultans, uh, and they do this first album. Well, I mean, I it, like you said, I came to it probably like everybody else. I mean, you saw Money for Nothing. You, that that was huge. It was on all the time. Heavy, heavy rotation in 1985, 86. Yeah, I, I, I realized that the the album was big. I didn't realize it was 30 million copies big. This is one of the biggest selling bands in the world. I think they've got like 128 million copies sold. And even this one, even though I think they had Water of Life, was the other single. Sultans of Swing was the big one. This still sold two or three million copies in the United States. Right. So this is huge. Got into them. The, the Kind of the strange part about this was they never really had a follow-up to Brothers in Arms until, I think, 91. So yes. they kind of fell off the map a little bit. I think Knopfler was tired of the whole deal. But yeah, it got into it, basically worked backwards, got into Brothers in Arms, and then found Sultans of Swing and kind of worked it from there, um, even though that's still in pretty heavy rotation on classic rock radio.:
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. no, And, and, and that 128 million, that's really only on six studio albums, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, kind of amazing. Yes, they've had some greatest hits. They had an EP. I'm a huge fan of, of course, Alchemy, the live album from 1984, which is the subject of our our 12th episode, which continues to do well. There must be some review out there that I haven't seen on Alchemy because it's good for two or three a day downloads or listens in perpetuity. Even though it's more than two years old, we still get people listening to that every single day, which is great. But it was not your favorite. I remember when I suggested we do it because it's such a huge album for me. It's one I listen to all the time. You're like, yeah, I don't really know
2: this album. <laughs> well, it's good because like you said before, you need to have your comfort zone pushed. And most of the time, I can't really imagine you would ever listen to a record where I would just say, I don't like it at all. If you like it, it's probably in the wheelhouse of this universe so give it a try. One that I just never experienced before. Not that I didn't like it. I just right. had no relationship with it.
0: Right. No, no, exactly. You know, and, but what's interesting about that, because uh, it did go gold in the U.S., and it, it, it sold well, and it had a video that accompanied it so you could see them. I believe it was filmed at Hammersmith, which is always a cool place to uh, do a recording. But Sultans of Swing was the only song off this first record to make it on to the double live album which is interesting to me because there were only four albums in at that point plus an ep so you'd figure well they'll like you said water of love was a single down to the water line was was kind of popular it's it's something that gets played on american rock radio to this day so you figure there'll be at least one more song on
2: there from there but that's just not the case uh, I guess it's the power of Sultans of Swing on its own. I guess. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because go you would think, okay, so if you work it backwards, if you look at that, you, you would say, well, I guess the rest of this debut was not really that great if they only put one song on. But that's not the case. Right. I, don't even, I don't even know if there's one song on here that I don't like.
0: No, and that's kind of typical to me of, of Mark Knopfler. So, you know, my experience is just like yours. I learned who Dire Straits was basically from Money for Nothing, the huge video that you couldn't escape with the kind of block-looking, you know, (laughs) cartoon guys moving those refrigerators around with Sting singing in the background. That was my exposure to Dire Straits. But then a couple years later, as we get into high school, you start to hear Sultans of Swing on the radio and pick out, wow, that's some really amazing guitar work on this Sultans of Swing song. I'd never heard that before. And... Honestly, I I have great reverence for the song. I think it's one of the greatest rock songs ever. It's amazing that it's on their debut album. And critics at the time were talking about how, you know, yeah, Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton are doing some amazing guitar work in the world. And then there's some great songwriters like Bob Dylan out there. But this guy, Mark Knopfler, uh, out of the north of England, he's kind of both. He's kind of pushing this guitar hero, guitar god thing in a big way. He's doing things that not everybody does. And you're not flashy Eddie Van Halen, which comes out the same year, right? I mean, the, the debut of Van Halen comes out in 78, just like the debut of Dire Straits. Mm-hmm. So it's a guitar god, but not so flashy like Eddie is. And he's got this quality about his songs. It's, it's good storytelling. It's got a little kind of a country vibe to it, but also kind of a Dylan, not only the way he does his songs, but even the way he sings. It's not like it's beautiful,
2: it's, but it's real you know what I mean right and and it's it fits exactly the songs that he writes well that's I, right I, if if he were to write other songs or if he were to sing other songs it would sound off but the ones that he does it's perfect it's it's yeah it's kind of like that every guy just telling stories
0: that's right and, and that's that's kind of what he is you know a guy from the north who formed a band with his brother david nodler and his buddy john Ilsley on the bass and You pick withers on the drums. And that's kind of an interesting part of it, too, is that, you know, Mark Knopfler, guitar god and and great songwriter and and a great storyteller, he's got a brother. And Mm -hmm. he was in the band. Mm -hmm. And he played guitar. And he
2: really only made it through the first two albums. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah. I think that's the problem with the band here is that it's called Dire Straits, right? Right. And it's a band, kind of, because all songs written by... Mark Knopfler. Mark Knopfler. Oh, it's not really a band. It's you play for me and I tell you what to do and you say how high. And then I think if you get to be, you know, the brother after a while, you're like, I'm just not doing this anymore. I can't.
1: I, I,
0: I hear you on that. And, you know, there was a good documentary on Dire Straits that kind of interviewed all of them back in the day. And you could see that, you know, Mark was kind of taking it all in stride, you know, yes, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working with Steely Dan now and, you know, I'm writing all these songs and we're getting all these accolades, John Illsley, you know, I was like talking about, yes, Life on the road is hard. but like on David's face, you could see like he was worn out. Like, he's like, <laughs> this is too much. Cause you know, once you hit it big, then you got to go tour hard, you know, and you, you right. got to go all over Europe and all over the world. And it's like, okay, so the swing is a big hit in America. All right, well now we got to go do all that. And I think it was hard to do that, uh, you know, touring hard, record, touring hard, record. And eventually he kind of opted out before uh, before making movies, although I think that maybe some stuff of his may have made it on there. At least he contributed to some of the songs. But yeah, you know, and look, you're right. I mean, after Brothers in Arms, On Every Street came out when we were in college. I mean, like Mm -hmm. basically in that time where it was like there were two big footholds, there was a lot of great classic rock and hard rock being made and released around that time, you know. Use Your Illusion by Guns N' Roses, Black Album by Metallica, Octune Baby by U2, Def Leppard came back with Adrenalize, you know, Kiss came back with Revenge, uh, and Di- and Tom Petty came back with the Heartbreakers after after just being Tom Petty on Full Moon Fever, um, and then yeah, Dire Straits came back with On Every Street. But the time had kind of started to pass, and I, I think it was just like, okay, we got to do a follow up to the hugest album ever, right? Let's do mm-hmm. it. We'll do a huge tour. And then basically Mark Knopfler opted out. He's like, you know, I I'm I write all the songs. I sing all the songs. I'm the lead guitar in all the songs. I don't need this Dire Straits big machine. I can just go do what I want to do. And he's made more albums as a solo artist than Dire Straits ever made. And I've seen him a couple of times as a solo artist. Saw him at the Ryman in, in Nashville. I've seen him in Indianapolis, I, I think twice, at least once. And he's fantastic. And it's basically... Dire Straits on a smaller scale, you know, that you get yeah. to see in a theater with all this great solo work that he's done over the years. So yeah, eventually he kind of realized, I don't need the huge machine. I just need to be able to sing my songs. But he still does good stuff from the Dire Straits catalog. And he always, always does Souls of Swing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> always. You gotta play the hits. Gotta yeah. play the hits.
0: Always does Romeo and Juliet, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was in. I was impressed to learn that uh, Muff Winwood produced their first record. Now they had other big producers, and Jimmy Iovine eventually produced mm-hmm. you know one of their albums. But uh, you know to get us out of the gate there as a freshly signed band, to get Muff Winwood, who was in Spencer Davis and has a younger brother named Steve that some people may have oh, heard
2: yeah. of. Huh. Name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It came in and played. I'm sorry. It came in and and produced their first record. And I guess they had some some songs on a demo, about four or five songs already, kind of ready to go. That's what helped them get signed. Obviously, Sultan's of Swing was one of them. But he helped them re-record those and and, pu- and put together some new songs. And then on June 9th, 1978, in the UK. That's when the first Dire Straits album was released. It didn't come out till, I think it was October in the United States. So, you know, usually there there might be a week or several days between release, but this was a good four months between releases. So I, I don't know if... If the record company's like, let's just get a good foothold here in England or, or start in Europe. But uh, yeah, it's a big, big gap between when it was released in America and the, and the UK.
2: Yeah, it's interesting how the, it seems like either Europe to the United States or vice versa, they're not the same record companies. So it's like you get picked right. up by a different, by a different um, outfit. I don't know whether they, it's distribution or however that worked, but yeah, and maybe it was a deal where they yeah, they weren't going to take a chance on a at un, an unknown band from England until you start to have a little heat there. And you say, Okay, well, we can we can keep that going here, but sight unseen, you're not getting a record deal.
0: Yeah, not to mention, apparently this is when punk rules the airwaves, right? It's punk mm-hmm. or disco. And this is neither one, you know, this has kind of got this spare kind of country folk Dylan-esque voice it's like that's not going to work in, the, in you know, in, against God Save the Queen or, you know. <laughs> the Ramones or Blondie or something like that. Like, that's just not it. But it ended up doing well. I mean, it went up to number two on the U.S. Billboard chart and and 23 for the year in in the 1979 year-end charts, right? Number Mm. three in the Netherlands where I used to live, you know, number two in New Zealand, number five in the U.K., top ten in several places around Europe. And, yeah, like you said, at least two million sold In America, double platinum UK, double platinum Switzerland, quadruple platinum Canada, gold platinum, all over Europe. You know, we're talking five, six, seven million copies sold anyway. So in the face of punk, it actually held up pretty well on its own.
2: Well, I think that comes down to the strength of the songs and the playing on this, not just from the Knopfler, but from everybody in the band.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you're right there. It was recorded in Basing Street, Studios in Notting Hill, London. Of course, eventually Mark would go on to do the Notting Hillbillies, a mm-hmm. little side project where they did a lot of picking. You know, it was was pretty well received. You know, my wife is a big country music fan, so he he eventually did a record with Emmy Lou Harris called All the Road Running,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and that was one that was on my record player quite a bit. Like I'd come home. It would already be on because that's what the She-Wolf wanted to listen to. But then they also did a live one as well. So just another thing in the catalog to check out there.
1: Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham.
0: And I am the Irish werewolf in England, Peter Bullock.
1: <laughs> and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London.
0: But all of a sudden the preamble's gotten a lot longer, so we, we kind of got to jump in here a little bit. The, the cover... Is uh, you know kind of simple. It's basically a painting. It looks like there's somebody. Looks like an office building to me. An empty office floor. You're kind of looking at it. White skies basically, and maybe somebody kind of silhouetted standing against the pole with a kind of yellow surrounding. You know, light yellow border. That's about it. It Just says dire straits on it. Very simple Mm -hmm. communication there.
2: Yeah, and you don't know what's happening here. Is the person. You know, like you said, is this an office? Is this person alone? Is it an apartment? Are they looking out the window? You don't know what's going on there. It's just—it's very, yeah, very spare, very minimalist. There's not really anything going on there. And then you've got the yellow border and that's just it. There's no picture it. of the band. There's no, there's no anything on this.
0: That's right. All right, so we, we jump in here. First song is Down to the Waterline. And this is one that's played on American Classic Rock Radio, has for decades here. Kind of a mellowish song, but it's got a little bit of upbeat. Talk about taking his girl down to the river so they can well, you know, you are young, you don't have your own place, you might not have a car, you gotta find some place. So yeah, let's just
2: go down to the water line, right? The beginning to me sounds like a like an eighties cop intro, like that, you know, that bam, bam, bam. And then it goes into the song. Uh it doesn't sound bad, it's just that's just what it reminds me of. But yeah, it gets uh it's a theme that everyone, especially men, can attest to. Like, yeah, you've got a woman, you you know, you don't have your own place, you don't have but you would like to spend time with her, preferably alone, yes. and then the holies have to show up and ruin your good time. What are you guys? Yeah. What are you doing here? You know what we're doing here. Stop. Yes, go away.
0: Yeah. Go, <laughs> away. go bust some skateboarders or something. Yeah. <laughs> No, It's funny you said it was an 80s cop soundtrack. I'm like, it has that little late 70s sound on the rhythm guitar that you heard through so many things. You heard it on Nile Rodgers kind of productions and disco stuff. It's very, very 70s to me. Uh, you heard a little bit on the Jerry Rafferty show that we did you know a few months back like there 's a little bit it 's just the way that the stuff sounded at that time, yeah but that 's on the rhythm guitar. The guitar solo was very clean and it wasn 't over the top it wasn 't crazy uh, but it was it was cool it really fit the song really well. but the play out solo at the end that shows a little bit more of what Knopfler can do here.
2: Well, and it, show, and it it showcased his – I mean, this was – unless you had heard Sultans of Swing on the radio, if you just got this record and it was, this was the first track you were listening to, it introduced you to his style of playing. Because to me, it, it, he has his own – he's in his own category. Like, he doesn't play like anyone else. Like, you can tell when you listen, you can tell that's Mark Knopfler. He's got that picking – Right. style that he does that just it looks very bizarre when you see him play i can imagine that he probably made that up on his own just listening to records but it, it works for him it looks weird and it doesn't sound like anything else
0: yeah it's kind of amazing the sound that he gets out of there and mm-hmm. and you know there was a i think they may have even called it money for nothing it was the greatest hits that came out while we were in high school that i picked up we, we definitely listened to a little bit while we were in college they showed his fingers on the back of that of that CD cover, and it shows him finger picking or whatever. It's like, yep, that's how he does it. Yeah, I'll tell you another thing that got me into it was when we were in high school. I'm going to say it was '89 or something like that. There was a show on MTV about guitar gods or guitar greats, guitar heroes, something like that. So they had stuff about Clapton and Beck and Page and Hendrix and Pete Townsend and blah blah blah. Steve Vai's on there, you know. Mm-hmm. And they had Mark Knopfler on there, kind of doing an interview. like, and it was funny because he was like, you know, everyone says, well, he can play fast, but he's just not doing it. And he's like, fact of the matter is, I can't. But then they cut to him doing Sultans of Swing live from Alchemy,
2: just mm-hmm. doing the solo at the end. And I'm like, yes, he can play fast. Yes, he yeah. is
1: awesome at it,
2: man. And and the thing is too, you mentioned that those other guys, you know, Clapton and uh, Steve Vai, and I would challenge them to play this the same way. And I bet mm-hmm. they can't. I bet you just, it's just so different. I don't think you could, because in order to play that fast, you have to have more than one finger going. Right. And somebody who, who's used to using a pick, it's its just not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Maybe Jeff Beck could have before he passed. I, I yeah. don't know. At least he could have tried.
2: Right. Um, and, and, but- and maybe somebody like Vi, if he put his mind to it, but like sight unseen, if I just gave you the guitar and say, play this, it would not sound the same because no it's, it's just so different. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But, I mean, it's it's a nice way down to the waterline. That It's got good melody. It's got good rhythm to it. It's not overpowering.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: some lyrics like, she can feel them in the places where the sailors go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, it's,
2: it's, you know, we, we know what you're talking about there. <laughs> you know? But it's an interesting way of saying that. Yes, exactly. Been- yes yeah, he he I don't think nafol gets enough credit for his turn of phrase
0: well you know he's a great songwriter there's no yeah. doubt about that and yeah versus what was going on with the punks where it's just basically up in your face this is exactly what's happening yeah. I'm, I'm screwing my girl down by the river you know not the same sport really <laughs> but then you move to water of love which was the second single off the record and the B-side was actually down to the waterline. Interesting way to start it. But this is one that you can hear his, his old national acoustic on this, right? Like the one that's on the cover of the Brothers in Arms record, you know, that's like...
2: Oh, the steel-looking guitar. The steel-looking
0: guitar, yeah. Yeah. It's a... Oh, geez. What's, what's it? It's a nineteen is a 1938 national is the make of that. 14 okay. fret guitar, yeah. With what, 1938 National Style O 14 fret guitar, which he's played on a lot of his records. He's, he brings it out on tour with him to this day. You can hear it on this, and he's sliding a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. everybody's playing that i mean not only anyone plays it ever but uh, not everyone was playing that in 1978
2: yeah and, and it's a it's a it's got a very distinct sound to it yes. it's, it you can you can kind of hear that it, it's very metallic i mean i understand that that's it, it is a metal guitar but yeah, it doesn't sound like anything else. I don't know. You know, is it, it could sound like a dulcimer? I don't know. It, it's cool to look at. It's got a distinct sound, and that little slide on it is very distinctive.
0: Yeah, and so this kind of has a little bit of a country flick to it. It, it. You know, as far as the the song goes, the sound of the song. It's it's over five minutes, which is a little long for a uh, for a single. But you know, it's about unhappy relationships, right? And Mm -hmm. water of love deep in the ground but there ain't no water here to be found and he said that this was one that that Knopfler wrote personally it's like most of the other songs he's kind of putting himself in other people's shoes and telling Mm -hmm. their story but this one was a personal one he wrote it because I was so fed up I felt I was going no place I could see my future stretching out in front of me as long and bleak like, ooh, that's not a great place to be, you know? And it didn't do great. I mean, I don't think it scored anywhere in the U.S. 28 in my old home country of the Netherlands, 54 in Australia, whatever that's worth. But didn't didn't really make much of a dent there, and it was the last single they released. I, I think someone did a remix somewhere that was pretty uh, popular, and he got credit for being a little bit like J.J. Kale, who's probably most famous for Clapton cover in his cocaine song.
2: Interesting that this could be a song where you just kind of listen to it and it's kind of a happy vibe to it. But then when you listen to the lyrics, it's kind of sad. So he kind of puts the two things together and it's not a downer until you really get into the lyrics. And you could almost be like, it almost kind of sounds like a religious track.
0: Well, a little bit. I feel like the drum rhythm kind of lends uh, to a bit of that. I also want to give credit to John Illsley for who has a nice bass groove on mm-hmm. this song. John Elsley is the only other permanent fixture in Dire Straits besides Mark Knopfler. He, was, he, he showed up to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mark Knopfler didn't. David Knopfler didn't. I, I think maybe Pick Withers did. One of the drummers did. And Pick was on this. Terry Williams was eventually his replacement in the band. But John Elsley throughout Dire Straits, especially on Alchemy, you can really feel his presence and holding everything down behind it so that Mark can go out there and do his thing with his guitar and his voice.
2: Yeah, and th- and that's a unique skill to have to to be able to know what your role is in the band and kind of, you know, this is nice because he kind of does get to flex it out a little bit in this one. But yeah, you're right. Your job in life is to lay it down a nice bed so that I can showcase on top. And you've got to be okay with that.
0: And he seems like a great guy, too. I know our buddy Paul at Vintage Rock Pod is had him on. So open mm-hmm. invitation, John. You can come on anytime you want. We would love to talk to you about your yeah. time in and out of Dire Straits
2: when well, especially somebody like that who who you know they started as i mean i would imagine kids together and right. then to go to to the heights of the money for nothing uh, uh, brothers in arms spectacle i right. guess <laughs> yes summit would be very interesting to him to talk to somebody who's seen everything in the band yeah no doubt
0: you know and i think he was david knopfler's friend and in- if I'm not mistaken, and then... Oh, really? Interesting. I think that's right. Introduced him to Mark, and they decided to put the band together there. Mm-hmm. I, I, he's also one of the biggest proponents for, like, let's get together one more time, right? Let's do one more Dire Straits tour. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I know I would probably pay to see it. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But, but you know, the Water of Love, all right, there's a the single. Didn't break down any big barriers or anything. But see, that was released as a single in later 78. So it it comes out, Water of Love in the Netherlands, released October of 78, whereas Sultans of Swing was released in May of 78 in the UK. Now we'll come back to that in a bit, because again, album released in October, 20th October 1978 in the US. So that's four and a half months after it's released in the UK, which is a little different. The third song, Setting Me Up, has a bit of a story to it, in that it was not a single for Dire Straits. But it was a single for a country act called Highway 101, who I'm unfamiliar with, of course. In 1989, they released it and it hit number seven on the country chart.
2: Huh. Okay. Didn't know that. that. Yeah, I didn't know it either. Definitely has more of a country feel than a rock feel, even the Dire Straits version. No,
0: very country picking from Mark on that. And he Mm -hmm. is sounding a lot more like Dylan on this one.
2: Say I'm the greatest And, and I like the 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 uh, the sentiment here is definitely country, you know, kind of like that. You know, you set me up to put me down, you know, just that right. uh, the sad times country feel to this uh, track.
0: Yeah, it's almost like like Clapton on Slowhand, how he he put a little country into that mm-hmm. album and lay down. Sally has a little bit of, you know, that country yeah. picking thing going on. It's very very good guitar work on this one from Mark. It's it's not rock guitar. No.
2: And that's the thing too. Like, you know, you are talking about punk being the big new thing, especially in the United States. You, what is this? Like it doesn't, it almost doesn't fit into a genre. Is it, it's rock, it's country, it's blues, it's jazz kind of all put together on one record.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably what he was going for. I, I don't know. You, you wonder like, do you try to go out and find a sound and then make everything sound like that? Or do you just take your influences from everywhere and figure, well, let's let's find something that hits. You know, you yeah. want country, we're gonna have that. You want bluegrass, we'll have that. You want hard rock, we'll, we'll have a little bit of that, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of see what sticks. And then whatever sells, okay, then the next one we'll make it more down that line. Right. But I, you know, I mean, I've heard this album before. I've had the album for a while. It was, it's another one of those. Things like, it was easy to get a Dire Straits, like these days, it's easy to get like, give me all the albums in one box. It's like 20 bucks or 25 mm-hmm. bucks or something like that. You get all six Plus you might get some outtakes or something like that. So I've had that for a while and I just remember putting this on, like, all right, Sultans of Swing's on here. What else is on here? It's like, uh, wow, there's some there's some odd, there's some different stuff on here. Yeah. It really kinda of crosses a lot of genres here.
2: Yeah, there really isn't anything else that sounds like Sultans of Swing. No,
0: no. And it's you know, it's one of those things where you've got your whole life to write your first album. So you're gonna take influences from different places and kind of mm-hmm. see what sticks and there were probably four or five on that first demo recording. They can't all be Sultans of Swing. and You're probably yeah. not going to make Sultans of Swing 2
2: <laughs>
0: because you can't. But we'll get to that song soon enough. The fourth song on here, Six Blade Knife, mm-hmm. this is a more bluesy
2: song. Mm-hmm. This is
0: yet another genre he's kind of tackling here. It's very mellow.
2: Yeah. I really like this one. This was one of those. I had never heard this song before. And then it, it, I, I probably listened to it four or five times. For this show, yeah, this this is really good. It's another change of pace. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have like it, it's dark country blues. I don't know what it is, but it works. Your six
1: blade knife. Do anything for you. Oh. Anything.
0: Yeah, and, and talking about something that could save you or kill you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like like it's a double edged sword, literally. Mm-hmm. And six blade knife, I mean, I guess is that like a dichotomy versus like a six shooter kind of thing?
2: Yeah. I don't or know. or a guitar, you know, your six string. I don't know what he's talking about here, but yeah, it it just it works. It's it's a change again from what from the third track to the fourth track, and it's definitely worth checking out because it's it will grow on you.
0: No, I like this one, like you, one blade for breaking my heart, one blade for tearing me apart. sixth blade knife can do anything for you, you know, so yeah, it's just uh it you know it could be a a job uh, it could be a woman. I like to be free of it now, I don't want it no more, I know I don't want it no more. it can just be what they want it to be a needle, a wife, or something you just can't see so mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of like you, you gotta watch out you gotta pick your poison and you gotta <sighs> be careful out there, but um. I, I, I do like it. it. It's not one you hear a lot,
2: right? on the radio. There's no solo in it, but he's just he's just picking at it all the time and and just those little gaps that he fills in with the picking on this song are great. All right. So
0: that's the fourth track on the first side or fourth track overall. And then the last song on the first side, and like it's it's kind of like the shorter songs. there's five songs on the first side. so the shorter songs go on the mm-hmm. first side. And then the longer songs go on the second. there's only four. Southbound, again, is the way they kind of wrap up the first side, and this has more upbeat kind of the staccato picking, and I assume, I mean, it's a, it's a traveling song a little bit, and it, I assume when you, you're talking about heading down, you're talking about heading down to London to me from the north
2: yeah I, it, that makes sense again, a nice change of pace from the last one it, it's upbeat you're, you've got more of the country feel again on this kind of coming back to that. The lyrics are a little sad, but that's okay. I mean that's country but right. yeah you definitely feel like you're chugging along on this one.
0: Yeah, right yeah you're going somewhere it's it's a traveling yeah. song. it's a movement song. It's very Knopfler, you know, with the big chords that kind of interrupt or interspersed with the picking Mm -hmm. that he's going on. There's not a whole lot to it. I mean, like you said, there's no solo. It, it's not a real long song.
2: Yeah, it's only what two fifty eight.
0: Yeah, I mean that's 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 pretty short for anybody. You know, yeah. So it's not it's not even quite three minutes. No solo. Lyrics aren't super deep, but you know, it's basically about we're from the north here. We've made it up here, but we got to go down to the capital, to the big city, to make it right, to play gigs, to meet with record industry types, to, to yeah. record, you know, that kind of stuff. At least that's what I'm assuming here. Southbound again means, yep, we got to go back down there to try to earn a living to try to compete right. to, um, with the big boys. Okay, fine. So that's, that's side one of mm-hmm. Dire Straits. Mm-hmm. They start off side two with Sultans of Swing. Now, that's an interesting choice to me because it was the first single released. Obviously, you know you've got something special there with Sultans of Swing. It's a story song. Mark's doing some incredible guitar work. Why do you hold it to side two? I understand why it'd be the first side on song on side two. I just don't understand why it's on side two to begin with.
2: Yeah, I don't know. There, there is that that school of thought we talked about, you know, Let's Dance a couple of episodes ago where, I mean, they front-loaded that thing. Everything was up front. Right. And then I guess they, they figure they'll catch you. And then if you listen to the rest of the record, that's fine. But if not, we've got you. It could be a deal where it just fits a little better on the second side. Like you said, they're a little longer. Maybe right. that was the what they were going for. And and maybe he thought the stuff on the front was strong enough to to grab you. You know, Water of Love was a single. I don't know. It just, it, for whatever reason, they just felt like it fit better on the second side to kind of kick that off and keep people interested.
0: Well, and it got a little bit of airplay. It was a bit of a hit before it was even put down on a record. You know, it was recorded in North London as part of their demo. Mm-hmm. I think it was at Pathway Studios. And then they took the tape to DJ Charlie Gillett of, of uh, it was on Honky Tonk on BBC Radio London. Like they they kind of wanted to talk to him like, hey, what do you think about this? What should we do? How should we proceed kind of thing? And he liked it so much that he started putting Sultans of Swing in his rotation on Honky Tonk. And then two months later, Dire Straits signed with uh, with phonogram record so in 77 they do the demo they get it to charlie he starts to play it even though they're unsigned and then they get a big fat signing bonus from from phonogram and get them out on the road and they get them to record this first album so it was kind of a hit before it was a hit
2: yeah which is interesting now why knowing that why they didn't just put it as a lead track it already had some heat coming into this
0: but then maybe that's another reason why it's like, okay, we know you know this one. So we're mm-hmm. going to put it here. First, we want you to listen to these five songs. You know, yeah. Listen to Down to the Waterline. Listen to Water of Love. Hear what we're kind of really about. Then we'll get you there. We'll, we'll get you to the big song. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about that, though. So as you know, and if you listen to it a, a thousand times like I have, and again, this is one when it comes on the radio, I never change it. This automatically it's turned up there's some songs that over time that i would as younger would been like yep yeah, here we go and now i'm like eh, or i'm just not in the mood right like mm-hmm. crazy train comes on if i'm in a good mood yeah crank it if i'm tired i'm like you know what let's just let's save that for another time it's not like i've never heard crazy <laughs> train before and he played it on his 61 strat but so the lyrics were inspired by a performance of a jazz band playing in the corner of an almost empty pub in deptford south london So when you hear lyrics like south of the river, you stop and you hold everything, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about jazz in there. And he said at the end of their performance, they announced they were the Sultans of Swing. And Mark just thought that was funny. He's like, you know, they, they don't look real good. And he's talking about his baggy pants, his platform shoes or whatever. And and like their surroundings, it's like, uh, this is kind of a bummer, but they've got this grandiose thing, the Sultans of Swing. So he's like, that's funny. You know, they, Let's tell a story about these guys. Talk about Harry doesn't mind if he doesn't make the scene because he's got a daytime job. He just, you know, saves up for Friday night to go play with the Sultans kind of thing. I don't know, when did
2: you first find this song? Probably probably in high school. And and it's one, too, where you can listen to it. You can listen to the track itself, the the music. You kind of get caught up in that. But yeah, when you listen to the lyrics and then to know that it kind of sounds like, like you said, they heard this band or Knopfler heard the band. And then just made the story up about them. Like, oh, look at the, you know, Guitar George. He knows all the chords, the rhythm player. And, you know, just Mm -hmm. not knowing anything about them, just making the story up with hearing the seeing them in this little tiny bar. And that would be funny too. Like, okay, thank you. Good night. We are the Sultans of Swing. That's right. What, Uh, playing to these three people? Okay, (laughs) cool. Oh man, that's funny.
0: But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely got hooks in it musically. And then eventually you get to understand the story and hear it and like, Oh, okay. Yeah. There's, there's something to that. For the most part, this is considered dire straits best song. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people will say money for nothing. That was certainly their biggest. It sold the best. They got them on MTV and all that kind of thing. But to me, it's their best song. And who was it? A rock critic on a classic rock magazine. Paul Reeves said the live version on alchemy is dire straits greatest song. And to me, that is 100% true. You like this song. You hear it on the radio. It's great. It's killer. But then you see or the video or hear the live album where they stretch it out, where there's kind of a mm-hmm. pause. And then they stretch it out and they build it back up. They slowly kind of build it back up. And it gains this momentum. It's like, oh, my God, this is so good. And they play it for like 10 or 11 minutes. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's kind of like your band, The Cult, right? You like Rain. But then you hear, here comes the rain. It's like, oh,
2: this is even better, you know? More is better,
0: yes. But again, and an odd twist, it was released May 19th, 78, in the UK, ahead of the release of the album. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it does well. It it hits the charts in the UK, goes all the way up to number eight, which is great. But then, you know, like we said, the the record didn't come out until October 20th in the States. And then the song wasn't released until January of 79. And in February of 79, it hit number four in the U.S. So nine months after it's released in the U.K. Was that three or four months after the album is released in the U.S., it hits number four and does pretty well in other places. I mean, top ten in Ireland, top five in Canada. Top 10 in Australia. Double platinum in the UK. Double platinum in Italy. Just the song, not the album. You know, gold in Canada. So, but to hit number four in America, that's what really propelled them to to go double platinum Mm -hmm. on the album. Yeah.
2: And I think the, the testament to this song is how, like you said, you can listen to it today. You never get tired of it just because there's so much going on. And you're just waiting for him to just rip into that solo.
0: yeah it's huge and at the end the play out at the end it's it's amazing honestly Mm. man i i'm pretty certain it's in my top five rock songs of all time Mm -hmm. like it's up there with comfortably numb it's up there with give me shelter you know it, it, it Higher than Hotel California. I mean, this, this comes on and like, yep, there we go. Now we're off and running. You know, this is, <laughs> it's so good. It's got great rhythm. It's got great melody. It's telling a great story. His voice is on. Just right where it needs to be, you hear a little bit of background vocals, which is I think it's John and David, but it was mostly David I feel like in the beginning just you know, that mm-hmm.
2: sultans of swing yeah
0: mm-hmm. it would make sense that their
2: their voices would be the most similar to go together to sing harmony because they'd probably been doing it for years at the house probably so um another interesting
0: piece of this is there's two b sides one was southbound again mm-hmm. but there was another one called Eastbound train. And it's interesting. It's more of a rockabilly song with a little bit of country touches here and there. And there's some fun backing vocals. Like it's a little, it's a little more. There's a little more backing vocals than we're used to from Dire Straits. It's not like the more polished stuff that they end up doing down the road. And in fact, the only place you could get this, other than the B side in some areas, was it was on a a live track. And it was on an album called the Hope and Anchor Front Row Festival Live. I guess the Hope and Anchor was a spot in London that broke a lot of people. And, you know, this is just basically like everybody who had played there in 78, I think it was, maybe 77 and 78. But you had people like Steel Pulse on there. But it was a lot of punk stuff, you know. It's like the Stranglers were on there and Wilco Johnson Band was on there. XTC were on there Who kind of was one of those bands You would see on 120 Minutes Once MTV mm-hmm. did that yeah. uh, back in the day 999, X-Ray Specs, The Pirates You know, people like this is, are on there And then
1: also, Dire Straits
0: You know, <laughs> just Skip the
1: beat Standing right behind me I'm a- shaking in my seat Three, four minutes and the train comes through I'm riding on the Central, I'm looking at you.
2: Yes, I am. A woman on the eastbound train. Sometimes I want i see you again.
0: Kind of interesting, but then, you know, if they were coming through London, they're playing these kind of gigs, they would have wound up on there. Mm-hmm. so I had never heard that so that was cool for me to discover that song because I was kind of unaware of it and, and to be able to hear something that is authentic something they played back in the day and, and not just from that album you can find other places on YouTube where they played it later than that but certainly a B-side compared to Sultans of Swing I just I love this song and I have incredibly fond memories of it from back in the day I, I love it on Alchemy it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the most amazing how can we make a great song even better because usually you do it live, and like it's just going to be not quite as good. Are you going to throw something in there that's unnecessary? Not on Alchemy, man. It's so
2: good, it's unbelievable. Yes, do you agree I, with me on that? Wait, wait, on the uh, on the live part of it, the live or, track. Or, well, or just how good it is overall. It it re- it, it is because it, there's a lot. I think there's a lot of songs. Now that I'm thinking about this, it, w- the more that you listen to them, they kind of it's the law of diminishing returns because there really there's really only one part in that you really like like you know you were talking about crazy train like that's the beginning part you know you've got the riff and then you've got the solo but the rest of it is kind of you know it kind of just chugs along there's a lot going on here in, in this song you've got the you've got the initial kind of riff that starts it off and then you get into his his lead part of it but then like you said if you listen to the re- what else is going on the the rhythm part of it there's more there than you think like, you know, there, there's the, when they transition the drum, you know, he kind of does the hi-hat to, 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 yep. like into the next part. The, yeah, I think that's what really makes this song stand up is it doesn't seem complex, but it is. And and there, you can appreciate more and more of it the more that you listen to the song.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and you can't overlook John Ilesley on this one either. He is definitely mm-hmm. laying down some great stuff. And, you know, look, there's just four of them playing on this one, whereas on the live one, there's what? There's six people you know and how lins is in the band instead of david you know and terry williams is doing some amazing drum not to pick his bad or anything but terry williams kind of picks up a notch they got a couple of keyboard players for him to bounce off of so it is different and there's more to it Mm -hmm. but no this is and considering it's on their debut record like this wasn't something that you got to three or four records in this is basically what got you signed this is unbelievable for a debut
2: and it's interesting too how like you said they still play it live or he still Monofa still plays it live there's a, there's a lot of bands that once you once you make it big once you get that big record big tour or whatever you kind of forget about the early stuff and he will never forget about this this is still his signature song I would say even more than Money for Nothing. I would say so, too. And he doesn't play that much. Maybe Romeo and Juliet, which I was interested to
0: find. It wasn't a hit, although it's been in a lot of movies, and it's kind Mm. of classic rock staple. It's a love song. It didn't hit when it was released, but it has kind of grown in stature over the years. He always plays that. I remember seeing him in Indianapolis, and we had killer seats. We're like the third row, maybe the fourth, something like that. And I'm waiting for him to play Sultan Sweet everybody's sitting down and he does it relatively early. Mm -hmm. But then when he plays it, I say, forget it. I'm standing up and I'm cheering along (laughs) to this. She Wolf was with me. I'm pumping my hands. I'm seeing them like, yeah, this is great. I turn around and no one else is standing up. Like we're literally the only two people in the joint standing up. And somebody said, you wanted to see that one, huh? I'm like, (laughs) yeah, that's my favorite song. You sit around waiting for walk of life? What's wrong with you, man? That's that's so amazing, man. Why don't you love that song, you know? So
2: Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod, and you're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London.
0: Anyway, Sultan's a swing, one of the greatest rock songs ever, 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 ever. And I guess we have to move on at some time, at some point here. So All right. Might as well scoot along to in the gallery. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. another one that they they played live for a while. It didn't make it on to Alchemy, but
2: this is a, a it, it is like country, but kind of funky too. This one that yeah, I've have I have uh, upbeat country, uh, upbeat blues, country question mark. Like I don't. It's kind of its own thing. It's got a couple of different a uh, different influences coming together on this one. This is, this is another nice change of pace, though, because it's not the same. We're not going into another single. This is something totally different from Sultans of Swing. It was ignored by all trendy boys in London, It yes,
1: might as well have been making toys, strings and bees It couldn't be. No, it couldn't be.
0: Yeah, and the subject matter seems to deal with, like, how phony the art world is. Like, we've got this young guy here, and he's trying to make it in the art wor- world, and, you know, the phonies who run it don't want to have anything to do with them. Like, we decide yeah. what... what- art is. We decide what culture is and, and you're not it, you know, kind of thing. And he, he tried to make it. Maybe he tried too hard. It sounds like he died probably from drugs. There's a word junk in there someplace. Like, talking about maybe mm-hmm. his work was junk, but maybe it was the junk that ended up killing him. Again, he's a heck of a good songwriter, this Mark Knopfler.
2: And, and I could see how you could write a song about a band, because you're in a band. This is what, this is what you love. This is what you can you can relate to you can also write songs about being in love and having relationships okay i get that but like to go to an art metaphor you know doing your own thing i don't know and and is there something about him in this about how this dire straits doesn't really sound like anyone else is that maybe part of him that You know, at one point in time, somebody said, if you want to make it big, kid, you've got to pick something or you've got to sound like this. And he just said, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't know.
0: That's fair enough. You know, and and talk about, you know, Harry's he's ignored by all the trendy boys in London and in Leeds. He might as well have been making toys or a string of beads. No, Mm -hmm. he couldn't be in the gallery. And some of these people, they just take an empty canvas. They stick that on. And then all the other are like, oh, that's so avant garde. It's like all the fakes, you know, all this (laughs) You know, so it's it's crap, you know, basically the dealers and those people kind of get to decide this is what art is. This
2: is what the price is. This is what you need to buy. Right. Kind Maybe kind of like in the music biz, too. Like, I mean, I'm sure that he probably saw some people who he thought had no talent get big because for whatever reason, they were sexy at the time. They had the look, they had the sound that was popular, but they had no substance. I don't know it's that's that to me would make a lot more sense unless he's a big art fan i don't know well i mean he certainly has the
0: bank to go out and and buy his art well that's true at this point i I read an article that said you know mark doesn't really care for fame he doesn't really like being recognized he doesn't want to get mobbed or ask for autographs and stuff like that but he does enjoy the trappings of wealth (laughs) you know and he you know he apparently he's part of some old gentleman's club in london that he goes to, to to relax and maybe you know have a drink and, and read the paper and that kind of thing and it, it enjoys having the high life but like the fame's thing he can do without and i i can i can totally dig that
2: yeah i don't i don't want to be recognized but i also don't want to drive an 82 honda for the rest of my life
0: <laughs> right exactly you know but then you know he passed away in obscurity. And then what happened? Then all the vultures came. Oh, he was so brilliant. Now that he's dead, his stuff is valuable. So now we will put it in the gallery. And that's kind of what makes art valuable is that you can't get any more of it, right? So so now he's worthy of the gallery. And that's just kind of, there's a great Saturday Night Live skit, you know, when, when Dana Carvey was chopping broccoli, you know. <laughs> And they basically convinced him that he needed to die. Because, like, look at Jim Morrison. He died and his records continue to sell well. Peter Frampton's still alive? Yeah, not so much, you know. So we need you to die. He's like, okay, well, you need me to go to an island for a couple of years? Like, oh, no, no, we're going to have to kill you. You know, that, that, that just wouldn't be authentic to your fans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we need you to get something at the bottom of a very large hill.
0: Yes, it Vicious needs to die and then... Sex pistols are immoral, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: If you, yeah, interesting that you would say that too. If, if somebody like, you know, Sid Vicious was still around today, would he, would he have the same, would he still enjoy the same stature that he had, that he has now because he died so young? And, you know, what could he have been? The crazy lifestyle that he led? I don't know. I mean, it does. Unfortunately, the longer you live, <laughs> It does take away from your legend. Yeah, the more irrelevant you become. Like, if, if Jimi Hendrix
0: went through the 70s and made a bunch of average to shitty records, like, <laughs> would he still be the guitar
2: god who right. you know, left us at 27? Oh, what could have been? You know, you remember Jimi Hendrix's disco phase. Right,
0: exactly. Boy. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that could wreck anybody the disco phase, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but good bass work again from Ilsley. Uh, I mean, I just think he and Mark Fleur, and Knopfler are, are really in tune together here. And
2: mm-hmm. his
0: picking work from Knopfler, again, top notch. Yeah. All right. Well, look, Wild West End is the third song uh, on the second side, eighth song over again. And here, you know, again, it's a little gear shift. You went from the fast paced, upbeat, Salt and Swing down to this kind of country funky in the gallery. And now we're slowed down. And he's mm. got that that national guitar again, yep, which in some points almost sounds like a ukulele, yeah,
2: yeah he, he he can make it sound like a couple of different things like I mean, if you didn't know what this thing was, you would think he had a couple of different deals on this this is this is another one that I hadn't heard before. I love this song like it just sounds like you know just really cool, you know walking in the walking in the wild west End. That sounds all right to me. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, West End London in the 70s is different from, you know, what it is today, you know. Yeah. And he, you know, he's talking about going out to get his coffee and hitting on a waitress who's a little, who thinks she's a little too good for him, you know. <laughs> it's like just another angel in the crowd, you know, and, and talking about going to, to Chinatown, maybe seeing some prostitutes out, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, there's back room gambling down there you know got to duck down the doorway but you also got duck to eat in chinatown yeah, you know yeah
2: i i love that i love the that's a great turn of phrase i like the walking in the wild west end walking with your uh wild best friend like that you know is is that the place that you go like this is your home that you love to go to and all of the things that you can see yeah it, it's i love this song just another angel
0: girl dj says she's mandy she's dancing high and i move by the close-ups can get rough
2: <laughs> which
0: i feel like is a good from far but far from good kind of reference correct, uh, correct. yeah she's kind of a neck down right dancer uh Everything, kind of thing.
2: everything's great till the lights come on oh.
0: right yeah sort of thing but uh, mm-hmm. no it's again it's telling a story you know right Solves the swing was about south london this is about West London yeah know? and I guess I I, I guess you would call, I mean I feel like Notting Hill is central London it is to the west I guess I guess you could you could call that part of West London and, and Portobello he writes Portobello Bell eventually you know uh, in, mm-hmm. in the next couple of years so he you know he, he's good at taking his surroundings and turning them into relatable songs even though although I've lived there at this point, Growing up, I didn't know the difference between Portobello or Deptford or Notting Hill. I don't know where any of those places are.
2: Right, right. But, but it sounds cool. It sure does, Jackson. It sure does. <laughs> sounds like the place I want to be. Yeah. But then playing a little slide on
0: that old National mm-hmm. guitar is, is pretty cool. I mean, again, he's just kind of showing off his chops here in a lot of different ways. And not super flashy. Just right. very solid.
2: Yeah, and there's a little, I think there's a little piano at the beginning. That's something we haven't heard before on this record.
0: By the way, when I was at Rockin' Pod with Pantheon, uh, there was a guy up there, I guess he was with the Drifters back in the day, and he said, because he was okay. in Hawaii, he said, it's actually pronounced ukulele, not ukulele, it's ukulele. Oh, sorry. I still don't think I'm going to adopt that. It's just, it's too ingrained to be ukulele, and right. it just doesn't come up <laughs> that much. You know? Maybe if I said it 10 times a day, every day, I would I would make the transition, but... It's like twice a year or something like that. I'm sorry, but it's probably just going to be ukulele. (laughs) And we wrap up the record with Lions. Mm -hmm. What do you think this is about, this song, Lions?
2: That's a good question. Uh, You know, when when you hear the word and and when it's used in popular culture like to me it's it's a a lion is always like the 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 head of the you know the pride the king mm-hmm. of the jungle you know is that is that what it's like to be a man you know you need to, you have to be a lion you have to be in charge right and
0: it's very much the symbol of the british right it's on yeah. the royal
2: crests mm-hmm. you
0: know the the rugby team the the national, you know, football team—they're the Lions. You know, they've got lions on their shirts. You know, so that, that's very much a, a show of power here. But it's also kind of like it's showing because, look, in the late 70s, England's having a tough time again. You know, we got recession. We got people squatting in flats. You know, we got a lot of people on the dole. Uh, and it's kind of telling a story about there's a girl out looking for fun. Is she a, is she a prostitute? I don't know. You look out. The church is looking for more people to show up, but they don't show up like they used to kind of thing. And hmm. the evening paper is full of horrors. And, uh, yeah, is this about the decline of England in the 70s? It, last line. What happened to the Lions?
2: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I would think that it's tough to grow up in a country and then have it like you said, have it kind of fall off a little bit. And yet yeah, you I mean you're still very proud to be from there, but it's tough when you look around and times are tough and you yeah, you wonder what's you know how how do we lose our way? How do how are we not still the big dog on the uh, international map?
0: Yeah, and I can relate to that. I lived in London for three and a half years. I think there was one mass shooting. I lived in <laughs> the Netherlands for seven or eight months. There were none, mm-hmm. and I. I only had to be here about five weeks before there was one in my town, not just one in the nation. While I was gone for four years, there were 2,500 mass shootings in our nation. But to have one a mile and a half from my home, yeah, that'll wake you up and say, Welcome, welcome back to America, Wolfman.
2: USA. USA
0: but you know she's she's reading in the paper about a swing to the right but she's thinking about a stranger in the night so like she's reading like okay yeah we're getting more conservative I guess here and Thatcher would be not far from this time mm-hmm. but then you know she's still got to go even if she's not a, a prostitute you know she's still looking for some kind of companionship she's looking for somebody to yeah. to spend her time with so I'm, I'm not sure
2: exactly what he's talking about there but Wait, and so okay so here's you got another line here drunk old sailor he gives her a fright he's a crazy crazy lion howling for a fight so is that the same thing too you know we we used to be tough we used to be you know we used to be in charge we used to be number one and now we're you know it's just some old guy who's trying to you know relive the past
0: Yeah. And just another chill song about day-to-day life, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff that you see right out your window or you see on the street, which is very country, right? You know, country can't have, you know, lyrics like, I'm standing next to a mountain, chopping down with the edge of my hand. (laughs) It has to be like my old pickup truck's beat. You have to be able to look out your window and be like, my woman done did me wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, the plow won't work anymore. I'm out of money, you know, or it's payday. It's time to party. It has to be. Something they can relate one hundred percent to if you get too deep or use too much imagery, you're going to lose them exactly you know yeah. and and he gets that he really gets that you know there's a little spare backup singing throughout on this alliance, on the fight bit, but you know I, I think this is a story about what's going on around him. what's going on in England and London and what he sees. Hmm day-to-day
2: what i like on here is he he kind of channels his inner jeff back on this one and it sounds like he's just ever so slightly working that whammy bar in just kind of giving it that little push little pinch there to to make some interesting sounds
0: all right well (laughs) so that's that's all of that's that's the album i mean overall as a debut what do you think of this from dire
2: straits I don't think there's a bad track on here. I don't think there's anything that you know. We always talk about, well, there's that one song that you probably skip over. I wouldn't skip over any of these. I think this is a very solid debut effort. It's all over the map. There really is no style to any of this. Like, none of no two of the songs sound exactly the same. And the ones that are kind of that have are kind of in the same vein are separated from each other. Like you don't get the ones that sound like the country songs aren't together, so you kind of get a little bit of a break. I think this is really good.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I it, it spent 132 weeks on the UK albums chart, so and probably mostly on the power of Sultan's A Swing. Right. Water of Love may have had something to do with it, but that's great, especially at this time when, again, punk ruled the airways or disco was on the other mm-hmm. side of things, right? So this didn't really fit into either of those things. It just kind of shows you, don't just trace, chase the trends. If you do your own thing You believe in it. And if it's solid enough, you will
2: will prevail.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, and this kind of started to run that for a while there, they basically made an album a year, you know, for the Mm -hmm. next four years. You know, Communique would come in 1979. Making Movies would come in 1980. More stuff, fodder for for classic rock, for sure. Lover of Gold didn't come until 1982. But then Knopfler started to get a lot of success on his own, Kind of apart from Dire Straits. I mean, it kind of happened early. Yes, after 1993 or whatever, he was done kind of permanently with Dire Straits and and went on to make a bunch of solo albums. But, you know, Steely Dan, those guys picked up and said, okay, he's going to come in and record with us. You know, the Taskmasters and Steely Dan, like, no, he's perfect for the kind of sound we need. We'll get him in here to do that. Bob Dylan. You know, got him on to play on his Infidels record, which is a pretty good latter-day Bob Dylan record that a lot of people probably don't know that much about. Mick Taylor was also on that record as well, but uh, and then he's doing soundtracks, right? He's doing the soundtrack to Cal, he's doing the soundtrack to Local Hero, which they ended their shows with. It's it's the last thing on uh, on Alchemy, which is kind of surprising. It's like. The band lets you do a solo track during the band times. Like, well, it's it's my band. I am the
2: band. <laughs> it's not so much that they let me. I'm just telling it's, them. Just do What? It, to, you know. Yeah, you might want to practice this because we're playing it.
0: And of course, Princess Bride was probably the one that he's most famous <laughs> for. Although I liked his work on Wag the Dog, which was uh, you know a political comedy. Woody Harrelson, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Ed Haish, mm-hmm. really good stuff on there. And it's 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 pretty obviously Mark Knopfler on there. Um, right. But but yeah, and he's got a great kind of best of, if you will, called screen playing, where he takes stuff from Coming Home and Princess Bride and Cal and a few things. A um, Last Exit to Brooklyn to put together a, a nice little best of his his, sa- his soundtrack, screen playing, is, it's called, and, and that's a good one, but... I would encourage people to go out and check out his solo material as well. Sailing to Philadelphia is a fantastic album. It's got a lot of guest stars, people like James Taylor and and folks that you would know on there. Lots of different genres, very well produced. But seeing him live was just a real treat for me. Again, I've done it three times. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I tried to see him when I first moved to London. He played Royal Albert Hall. The tickets were just crazy. And I don't believe he's toured since then but if you ever get a chance to see mark knopfler even though it's solo even though it'll be in a theater someplace smaller do not pass it up mm-hmm. and of course they would blow to the sky with brothers in arms i mean couldn't be any bigger tens of millions of copies sold you know playing live Aid, biggest mtv
2: hits that there are and it's interesting too that 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 if you listen if you just listen to i understand they're not back to back but if you listen to this record and then brothers in arms how different they are you wouldn't think that this band would end up having a record that would sell 30 million copies. I know. I know.
0: Especially they put out the EP, the extended dance play in 83 between Love Over Gold and Alchemy with Twisted by the Pool on there, which is kind of a funny song, if you ask me. And I think they kind of did that because Mark was so busy doing other things. Like, okay, well, we got to do something. We got to get something Dire Straits out there, you know, because love over the gold was a huge hit I mean I think that love over gold 1982 their fourth album
2: only had five tracks on it mm. then you get into the whole is this really an EP
0: well you know but but it's 41 minutes because Telegraph Road is 14 minutes you know and mm-hmm. and you know everything else is six minutes or more so I mean it's it's about as long as the first album it's just it's five songs instead of, and I love Telegraph Road it's an amazing song I I sh- he played it on the last tour I saw him on. He played it to a point and then he stopped like two shows before I saw him.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he even said, you know, you can call out whatever you want, but it's not going to make a difference. We're not going to play it. And I'm like, Telegraph Road, bring back Telegraph Road. And here's the other cool part. You can, <laughs> so on that tour, you could order like an MP3 of the concert. You could get, uh, and it comes on like a uh, a stick, like a memory stick that's shaped okay. like a guitar. Um, which is kind of a cool little souvenir. So I ordered it for the show we went to. Like, that'd be a cool souvenir from that show, you know. And in that bit, because I was in the third row wherever I was, he's like, yeah, scream all you want. It's not going to matter. You could hear me say, <laughs> tell the You refro. You could maybe barely make it out on there if you really listen to it, you know. So I hope I still have that somewhere. But, I mean, you know, other than Sultan's a Swing, yeah, you're right, Jackson. It's not like if you heard this, you're like, oh, yeah, by 1985, they're going to be the biggest band in the world. They're going to have all these pop hooks and everything in there. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's different. There's definitely an evolution that happened over the next six, seven years.
2: Yeah. And, and and I think part of it, too, was they that hit at the right time in 85 with the music video, the fact that they were from England. And, and that was a huge thing. I remember in 85 with, you know, Duran Duran had come out. And so I think that they were primed for that. And having Sting at the beginning didn't yep. hurt
0: anything either. Absolutely. Because the police were kind of done at that point. So and, and if I'm not mistaken, Dream of the Blue Turtles hadn't quite come out yet. In 1985,
2: mm, okay. I think that was 1986. Uh, I have to go back and look at that. But but hearing his voice, like you knew, you knew who it was. You knew yep. like this. This was going to be, even though that was kind of a, I think a last minute deal to not get sued to put him on there. That definitely propelled that track to be huge.
0: Well, that is our 125th episode, folks, on Dire Straits' debut album, which came out in 1978, featuring the immortal single, Sultans of Swing, launching the career of Mark Knopfler, who I gotta tell you is one of my very favorite guitar players of all time. One of the very best, and kind of beyond genre, right? He's not really a country player, he's not just a rock player, he's not a blues player. He can kind of do all that stuff, and has done all of it over the course of his career, Very talented songwriter, and all right, he doesn't have the most amazing, soaring voice in the world. Well, it's good for the stories that he tells. It's good for the songs that he writes. And I think it's very soulful, and it communicates really well. It's always a pleasure to be able to go back and check out this one, and look at it in the face of what else was going on in 78. The first Van Halen album comes out. Is it different from that? Yeah, it's very different from that. You know, What were the guys in Yes doing in 78? Was that Tormato? Was that Going for the One era? Steve Howe? So he was forging his own destiny with his own sound. And obviously it paid off. I mean, how many records did Brothers in Arms sell? 25 million? 30 million? More? I don't know. But enough so he could basically fold the band not too long after that and then embark on being Mark Knopfler solo, which... I would say it's paid off financially, but it's got to be more rewarding spiritually and musically. So, as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You need to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You can also tweet us or DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. You can let us know the bands, the records, the concerts, the DVDs. The rock properties you want us to talk about here on the show. And we got some fun stuff in the hopper coming up here very soon. I want to give shout outs to Pantheon Podcast, which we are a proud part. And you can check out PantheonPodcast.com. Got some new folks uh, on there for you to check out, new shows that you'll want to learn about. And of course, our amazing sponsors at RareVinyl.com. Guys, you want your Dire Straits records, you want something special, go to RareVinyl.com, use code PODCAST, save yourself 10%. They ship all over the world, and they have amazing stuff in their catalog. No previews for next week, not because I don't want to tell you, just because I'm not sure which show we're going to put up first. We've got a few things going on, and I'm getting ready to go to Amsterdam to see Metallica on on the first couple nights of their amazing worldwide tour, not only to celebrate 72 seasons, but what they're doing is they're playing two nights in a city, no repeat songs. So that's like four and a half, five hours, all different material. It's going to be epic. They kick it off in Amsterdam. I can't wait. Obviously, that show is going to come after I see the cosmos. But until next time, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe.